The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. It is May 30th. We're going to talk about Adrian Griffin being the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about the positives and negatives about that hire. We're also going to run through all the Brewers news and notes, catch up on what we've missed since doing the pod on Friday. We will also dig into this weird Packers-Bears thing that's happening. So uh, we'll talk about all that and much more. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder on the socials, tap in the keg on Twitter, tap in the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We were a little slow on the weekends as we usually are. Uh, it's, it's, man, weekends are always tough. And then when you're busy on the weekends, which I can get into a little bit more, uh, it makes it more difficult. And also why we didn't have a kind of a live reaction pod with Adrian Griffin, uh, which I probably would have liked to do um, on Sunday, but with hosting and everything else, we didn't really have the time to just sit down, hammer out about an hour and 90 minutes of content. So I apologize for that, uh, but we're, you're getting it today. Uh, so yes, follow along. Uh, I will be in Cincinnati and Louisville this week. Uh, so it'll be good content there. Uh, Brewers and Reds on Saturday, which I'm excited for. Uh, and looking forward, even though it'll be about 90 degrees uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, make sure you're also uh, subscribing to the podcast, uh, Tapping the Keg, on Apple, on Spotify. Maybe uh, someone told you about this podcast over the weekend at a barbecue or at a bar, and you're checking us out for the first time. That's great. Get on board. Uh, if you're already on board, drop this into the group chat. Uh, I know that Adrian Griffin is still being talked about in the group chats. Drop that in. Let's get more people on this bandwagon. We appreciate it all. And we appreciate all the listens on the, on the weekends, man. The Friday pods do so well. And I'm, I am, I'm not available to do a podcast on Friday this week. So I'm like, do I have to basically create do a, a separate pod, schedule it, which I certainly can do. Uh, my RSS feed allows that. Do I have to do that for the people? Because the Friday pods just absolutely crush every time. Uh, I really appreciate that, and it means a lot to me. So it, it's, it keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. So I appreciate you, all of you listening to our stuff about the stadium last week. Um, and let's talk about Adrian Griffin. Adrian Griffin gets the job uh, as the Milwaukee Bucks head coach. It broke middle of the day on Saturday. Then Adrian Griffin was the guy. Uh, I think all of us considered Adrian Griffin a long shot. Uh, we talked about it a lot last week. I talked about it individually. I ranked him. Griffin was last. I said, you know, it's a long shot. It's a it's a good idea, idea to at least have someone a little bit different. Could this potentially be, you know, Nick Nurse getting the job and Adrian Griffin as your lead assistant? And they're kind of doing a one-two punch is sort of how I thought maybe everything would end up. And then, you know, we talked to Shaken, we talked to Mitch, and basically they all said the same thing. But one thing I did say to Shaken, if you remember that, if you go back to listen to that podcast, I said, what if Giannis Antetokounmpo wants Adrian Griffin? And I said, what if Giannis is the reason why Adrian Griffin is in the finals? And then you had a story no more than probably an hour, hour and a half after I taped uh, from John Gambino of Phoenix Radio, who throws a lot of shit at the wall, I'll, I'll admit. So like, he's not a great source because he's got some things way wrong in the past. But he said, like, the whole reason why Griffin's getting this or might get the job is because of Antetokounmpo, because Antetokounmpo wants Griffin. And there's no real relationship there, but it's the fact that Griffin is a former player. And per the sources, Giannis wanted a former player to coach this team. Now, why is that? 
I think there's a lot of questions for Antetokounmpo that probably won't get asked. Uh, let's be clear. The media here in Milwaukee is not that tough on Antetokounmpo. Uh, they don't really ask him those tough questions. It's kind of the same thing it was for Aaron Rodgers. It's the same thing it is for Christian Yelich, honestly. And so I don't think Giannis is going to get that question and be like, why were you insistent on having a player as as a former player as a coach? And Antetokounmpo probably wouldn't answer. He'd probably say, ah, it's not true. Uh, that's That's just a rumor. But it it seems like that's why Griffin got this job. Now, I don't hate that Griffin got this job. I'm not freaking out and losing my mind that the Bucs didn't hire Nick Nurse, that the Bucs didn't hire Kenny Atkinson, that the Bucs didn't hire someone else that is a hot name in the street. I guess you could say Charles Lee, uh, that they didn't try to go after, you know, maybe one of the old butt assistants like Taylor Jenkins or Ty Lue for that matter, not a butt assistant. But you get my point. They were, they casted this very large net and they basically interviewed a bunch of people, probably more that we don't know. Remember, I think it was Jim Orowski or somebody wrote the article basically saying that, yeah, the Bucks sometimes would do these one hour Zooms to appease agents, to appease players and that they, they didn't really mean much, that they were just sort of these courtesy interviews and that the Bucks did a lot of them and that they landed on Adrian Griffin as the final choice. I think everybody likes Adrian Griffin. I think he is a popular per, popular person, not only you know for the players, but also the media. Ryan Rosillo did a podcast with him. I think it was 2019. It might have been a little later than that. But it was a great podcast. It was really informative to learn on what Griffin, you know, kind of went through and how he he got to this point and how he is a how he is an assistant coach and now a head coach in the NBA. And I would recommend anybody to go listen to that. But I don't think that this is anything worth freaking out about because the Bucks are relying on their players. They're relying on you know what they think is the best thing for this team. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that is a inmates running the asylum. I think that you need to have a collaborative effort. And Giannis has obviously seen something with Adrian Griffin. The, there was a report that Giannis, Chris Middleton, and ownership, and John Horace had a meeting, had a dinner together on Thursday to talk through the head coaches. And first of all, that means Chris Middleton's probably back next year. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, the fact Drew Holiday wasn't there is a little bit interesting. I don't think that it completely rules out Drew Holiday. You know, the guy has a family. The guy lives in California. The other argument is it's very easy to get to California to Wisconsin on a private jet. Uh, it's done all the time. It wouldn't be hard for Holiday just to come for dinner and leave. But I, I don't think that immediately says, okay, yeah, they're out on holiday. I think it's just the packing order of knowing that Giannis and Chris are the two guys and that Chris does have a player's option. And we are going to do a longer podcast on the reconstruction of the Bucks roster. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, it depend if Mitch is around. If not, Mitch and I will get on it next week. Uh, and we'll talk through sort of what that, what that looks like for the Milwaukee Bucks. But as for, you know, the meeting, it, it's clear that the Bucks, you know, Giannis and Chris likely made a case for Griffin and said, well, we think that this guy is going to take us to the next level. I, I know that the lack of experience is, is a major negative. It's a major negative against him. 
It, it's what Nurse doesn't have. It's what Atkinson doesn't have. Uh, it's, you know, what some of the other people that interviewed don't, you know, have that Griffin doesn't. But I will offer, I will offer this. Number one, Emma Udoka took a very talented Boston team to the NBA Finals in year one. Nick Nurse won the finals in year one for the Toronto Raptors as an, after a, being a longtime assistant. Steve Kerr won the finals in year one of being the Golden State head coach. It's not impossible in the NBA to win a title in your first year as the coach. Sometimes that's all a team needs. Sometimes all a team needs is another coach to sort of unlock what's been missing in, in the you know in the team. And I think for the Bucs, you could make the case that Mike Budenholzer, you know, got as far as he could with this Bucks team and that he couldn't necessarily take it across the finish line. And you're like, well, Charlie, he did it in that one year. Well, he still needed to level up. I think the worry, and I think what the Bucs were wise in doing of getting rid of Budenholzer is that there was a little bit of a Mike McCarthy to him where he just sort of settled for that one title and he didn't try to do new things. He didn't try to sort of go beyond that. It's like, this is what we've done. This is what's worked in the past. We're going to continue that. And the fact that Bud was stubborn as shit is part of sort of him not pushing forward and not progressing and not learning necessarily from the mistakes or not seeing things during the series and being like, oh, this could actually help us. Like they they don't really make a ton of adjustments. And I think with Griffin being the fact that he comes from, you know, a coaching tree of Nick Nurse, Billy Donovan, Tom Thibodeau, Scott Skiles. Scott Skiles taking it away because Scott Skiles, I wouldn't say was that great of a coach, but still Skiles got to start. You have to at least acknowledge that. But Tibbs, Billy Donovan, and Nick Nurse are all critical thinkers, all guys who make changes, who adjust on the fly, who don't necessarily stick with their system. They do they do not have necessarily a system that is a, you know, a one size fits all sort of approach. And I think Bud and his sort of play random positionless basketball mentality combined with the drop defense, he never really got out of that. You know, they the Bucks were like, oh, we're going to be better about stopping three-pointers. And they were during the season. But then when, you know, the chips were down, Miami shot them out of that, that series. So what, what does that mean, right? Jimmy Butler was on Drew Holiday the entire series. And Jimmy Butler absolutely ate his lunch. And to the point where Bucks fans also want Drew Holiday gone. There's a section of Bucks fans that think Drew Holiday is not a winning basketball player. I think that is another discussion for another time. But I do look at it and say, all right, yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo could have tried. You could have could have just kept rotating guys. Why, you know, Marjan Bochamps and another one, like, why not? Why not at least throw him out there, see what he does? Even if he gets six fouls and he's out there, why not? And I, I'm not trying to rehash and re-remind you about the Bucks losing to the Miami Heat. But what I'm trying to do is just show you like why the Bucks probably needed that guy who was an assistant and sort of where where that goes. And I think it's a great thing that Griffin has this wealth of knowledge. I'm also very curious to hear what was said between with Nurse's interview versus Griffin interview. You know, who interviewed first? Who interviewed second? 
What did Nick Nurse say about Adrian Griffin that, you know, might have taken over the top? If we continue sort of with this, the positives of Adrian Griffin and what Adrian Griffin brings to the table, he's also an awesome player development guy. He worked with Jimmy Butler. He is credited with being the guy that sort of unlocked Jimmy Butler. He helped out with Pascal Siakam. This is a huge boost for Marjan Bochamp. You could really see a potential leap year with Marjan Bochamp. Now, maybe Griffin isn't as involved because he is the head coach now, but at least I think he's going to try to bring assistance to Milwaukee that will help with that player development. And maybe you will see a leap in year two. This also might be a case, as we talk about reconstructing the Bucks roster, that it's worth maybe taking a flyer on a couple of younger options in free agency of guys who haven't necessarily had the best start to their career. I haven't really looked and done a, a deep dive on the free agents, available free agents, but a guy that I would that comes to mind from last year who I was really pining for in this sort of category was Malik Monk, right? Where a guy who hasn't necessarily had the greatest start to his NBA career, but the talent is clearly there, just maybe putting him in a new system that will you know, get him to play a different brand of basketball might help. And with a guy who's really good at player development, I think it's worth you know, those sort of flyers and sort of rethinking you know, what the Bucks bench might look like. So I do think there is a potential for Bochamp to be a, role, you know, a vital role rotation guy for the Milwaukee Bucks. I also think another positive is Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted this guy. Like this was a guy that Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted. I think if that is the case, and Giannis can deny it, whatever it may be, I think he's going to put his heart and soul into justifying that decision for everybody else. Giannis is going to work really fucking hard. Not that Giannis wouldn't if it was Nick Nurse. Not that Giannis wouldn't if it was Kenny Atkinson. He would still come to the table. But the fact that the Bucks are basically putting it on the platter saying, we are giving you your guy. We are giving you your guy. We are working with you on this. Giannis also, by the way, two years left on his deal. That that matters a lot. But the fact that Giannis and him are kind of tied a little bit, I think is a really good thing. I think there is a collaborative, cohesive thing that's going on right now with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I really like that. I think as a Bucks fan, that to me is maybe the most exciting part of all of this is that the Bucks are working with a guy who's going to listen to his players, who's going to work with his players. I don't think that there's going to be a situation where Giannis is the head coach out there, where Giannis is, you know, sort of dictating everything that the Bucks are doing. You know, there were talks going to Boston, who, you know, just lost in game seven, where it really felt like Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Grant Williams were coaching the team and not Joe Mazzola. I don't think that will be the case here with the Bucs. I think Adrian Griffin is still going to be, you know, that the lead guy in charge. But I think that if Giannis tells him, hey, look, I want to guard X, Y, and Z, Griffin's going to let him do it. Uh, not like Bud, where it's like, no, 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 stick to the plan, stick to the plan. I think Griffin's going to let him do it. I think if they tell him like, hey, we got to get out of this defense, we have to try this, uh, we should really be switching, Griffin's going to listen. I'm not saying Bud didn't listen, but it goes back to that stubbornness we talked about. 
And it goes back to the only time it seemed like Bud was really listening to the guys was the P.J. Tucker led Milwaukee Bucks in 2021. When I say P.J. Tucker led, I don't mean that P.J. Tucker was the guy because it obviously was Kumbo, But I think Tucker's influence led to more of the, you know, Bucks looking different. Why did the Bucks look different in that playoffs compared to everything else? The answer is P.J. Tucker. That, that is the answer, right? And Bud playing a little bit more like he had nothing to, he, he had everything to lose, not nothing to lose because, I mean, he did. I mean, people were talking about him getting fired if the Bucks wouldn't have won that series against the Nets. Like Bud was out for the most part and then they win the championship. Then, you know, next year it's fine. You don't have Middleton. And then the year after it's like, yeah, you gotta go because you were on the edge and you've basically reverted back to yourself. And you, you weren't listening to your guys. And P.J. Tucker, you know, I think part of the reason why he didn't come back beyond the, oh, he got screwed contract-wise. First of all, we all know that the real story is he didn't like Milwaukee. But I think the other story of it was that I don't think Bud wanted him back. I don't think Bud liked that. I don't think he liked the fact that there was a feedback loop with Tucker and the rest of the players and telling Bud, you know, how to do things differently. I don't think he enjoyed that. And to bring it back to Griffin, I think Griffin would welcome that. I think Griffin would understand that there will be, you know, some, there will be a learning curve. There will be some figuring out of what goes on. I think you can't really judge Griffin until at least Christmas. I know that's going to be hard for everybody to do. It's the same conversation we're going to have with Jordan Love all fall, but you can't immediately judge this. You can't immediately rush to judgment and say, all right, this is a terrible hire. Bucks start slow. Who knows what else the roster looks like? But if they start slower, Griffin's doing things that are necessarily not what Bucks fans want on Twitter. That doesn't mean that he's suddenly a bad coach, that the Bucks are going to completely fall apart. The last thing to keep in mind is the Milwaukee Bucks are still the favorite in this NBA Eastern Conference, even with a brand new coach, Adrian Griffin. Okay. The Boston Celtics are in complete shambles. We do not know what the Boston Celtics are going to look like next year. Are they going to keep J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown together? Yeah, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I got it right. That's like, so that every now and again, you can, you know, Jason Brown, Jalen Tatum, whatever. But it, are they going to keep those together? The CBA is a fucking disaster. Like I said, Mitch and I are going to do a full thing on the, on the, the reconstruction of the Milwaukee Bucks. Are they really going to use up a majority of their cap space on two guys and then build around it? Or are they going to try to reset the deck a little bit and find a better Robin to Jason Tatum's Batman? We'll have to see. That, that's a huge subplot of the season next year. And then you also have the Philadelphia 76ers who hired Nick Nurse. And that is a huge sliding doors moment potentially for the NBA. Because if Joel Embiid figures it out with Nick Nurse, which I am highly dubious of, then you're going to look back at the Bucks not hiring Nick Nurse as this huge watershed moment in the Eastern Conference. That's on the table. I will just, that's a more of a national take. I'll admit that. That's more national media Murph style. But it, it really is. Because if Nurse ends up bringing Philly to prominence, and this all ends up working out, and the Bucks are sort of where they've been the last couple of years, 
you're going to look back at if you didn't listen to Ante the Kumbo and you went with Nurse and you defied your star player because the rumor was that the front office liked Nurse. The front office thought Nurse, you know, was maybe their guy. But Ante the Kumbo did not want to play for Nick Nurse or he just didn't believe in what Nick Nurse was doing. Now, I, I don't, we'll never really get that real answer from that. You know that Giannis will do the, uh, that, you know, that's bullshit, that's not true sort of thing. But whatever it is, it, it basically has created this sort of inflection point. And we'll just sort of see how, how it happens. I personally think that Nurse will be a disaster for Philly. I, I like Nick Nurse a lot. I think Nick Nurse is a, a good coach. But I do think that Embiid is not the type of guy that's going to respond well to Nick Nurse. Remember, the reason why they drove out Jimmy Butler is because they could not handle sort of Jimmy's tough love. They couldn't handle Jimmy Butler being a consistent asshole for these guys. And now you hire a guy who's known to be a little rough around the edges, who seemingly has burned every bridge in the city of Toronto. And that's the guy you're entrusting with. The Philly fans will fucking love him. Don't get me wrong. And I think there will be some comparisons and correlations to Larry Brown and the mid, the early 2006ers. But man, that you're taking a real, real fucking risk there. And we'll have to see. And it, it could be, it'll be a real bad, like you want to talk like all time nightmare Twitter scenarios as if the Sixers start out red hot and the Bucks, you know, are like 500 to start the year. It's, you're just going to hear it already. And it, it's meaningless, right? It'll be honestly, truly, it won't matter. But at the same time, it'll there will be increased pressure on the Bucks to perform better than the Sixers because there is a world where Nick Nurse is the head coach of the Bucks and who knows where the Sixers go. And I guess I'm thankful that he's on the Sixers and not the Celtics. I don't think he would have went with the Celtics, by the way. Uh, I just, I think Brad Stevens uh, seems a little oil and water, a little two, two different approaches slash mindsets. But we'll have to see. But back to the Bucks and being the favorite, yeah. The Sixers, still unknown. The Heat, I, I, I mean, the Heat are a model franchise. I think the Heat have sort of made themselves into what we've seen out of the, in the New England Patriots in the past, what we've seen out of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in in baseball, where it's just they're always good, and they you have to make sure that they're dead. You have to put them in the ground. I think with the Heat, there it's just it's unknown if this is going to be what they are, where they you know get into the playoffs and then they make things happen. Or are they going to have to completely sort of redo their roster? They have they have some cap issues, and Bam Adebayo is under the gun, and I don't think Bam Adebayo is a second guy. Now, is Cale Martin, and do you give Cale Martin a big contract, and then you look to move off of Bam and Hero? They have some really big contracts, and with the way the CBA is now set up, I just don't know what the Heat look like next year. I think that's more my question. I, I don't doubt that the Heat couldn't be right back in this position and be around the Easter Conference Finals. You have to respect the Heat. You can't just keep disrespecting them. I still look at the Bucs with Giannis and with the talent around Giannis as the best team in the East. Um, and maybe that'll change. And Cleveland, I think, still a year away. I think Orlando's like two years away. I think the Knicks are just kind of in that middle. I don't necessarily look at them as a way to step things up unless they make a significant trade. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I still look at the Bucks as a top team. I think if I had to do it right now, thinking how it'll look at the end of the at the end of it, I think it's Bucks, Heat, Celtics, Sixers, and that's kind of my order. And I I put the Heat above the Celtics only because I don't know what that team looks like. I, I feel feel more confident about Jimmy Butler leading that team than I do Jason Tatum, just because I I still think Tatum is a couple years away from being really awesome. And we'll see. I mean, maybe next year is the one for him where he just turns the corner and he's great. But yeah, Adrian Griffin, the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about about the Bucks, you know, as we get closer to the draft, we get closer to free agency. But it's Adrian Griffin and it's a new era of Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers had a bad weekend. Uh, they went... One and three against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, they were three and four on their homestand. I think if you would have said to me three and four on a homestand with the Giants and Astros, I probably would have taken it. Assuming the Brewers only won one game against the Astros and then maybe they split the series with the Giants. Now it was a little different than that, right? Uh, it was it was it was two wins against the Astros and only one against the Giants and thankful the Brewers were able to get a win on Sunday. Uh, the Giants are playing really good baseball. Uh, they're above 500 now. They had a great month of March um, or May, excuse me. And they dominated the Pirates coming home. Like think about this, like they probably left Milwaukee six o'clock, seven o'clock, flew into San Francisco, got up, played a day game at four o'clock or two o'clock locally. And they went and mashed against the Pirates. And they scored 14 runs that game. So, like, they are on another level right now. And sometimes that's just how baseball and, and it really every sport works where you run into a hot team and you just kind of brace for your life. And the Brewers are in a weird spot right now in terms of injuries. And that, I think, is the first thing in terms of the news and notes is Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas going down with a concussion, getting hit in the head with a foul ball during the game from Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson in tears. The team was completely beside themselves. Freddie Peralta really struggled. I was critical, I think, in the moment of Craig Council where I, I don't really think Freddie Peralta should have been back out there. You know, Willie Adamas is his guy. I understand they were light on pitchers, right? They, you know, hadn't really had any days off. They needed to sort of, you know, have that reprieve. But Freddie didn't need to be out there. I think Freddie was really rattled by the whole thing. I think the whole team was. I think, Friday, you know, Friday is probably a little bit of a different game if Willie Adamas doesn't, you know, suffer that concussion. You know, you look at it, you know, like 15 to 1. And now the run differential is, you know, really all over the place for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they're minus 20. So you could say, well, there is some regression coming. Uh, I heard Brian Anderson. I think Brian Anderson was one who did sort of a, but the Brewers have lost three games in the last two weeks by, they lost by 14 runs on Friday night. They lost by 10 runs on Monday night. So that's 24 runs right there. And then they also lost by another 17 runs the week before. So that's, I mean, that's really going to fuck with your run differential. Those are three games that if you take those three games out, the Brewers are definitely in the positive. And that's why run differential can be so silly. Everyone was losing their mind about, oh, the Cardinals had figured it out. Well, the Cardinals are back to being the worst team in the National League. They lost to the Royals last night. Like, I mean, that that's that's where that's how how quick it can happen, right? 
So I think going back to Brewers and like this, you know, Willie Adamas thing, it's just another injury for this team. And they they can't seem to get healthy. Like Owen Miller then on Sunday took a, a ball to the forearm. Now, Council's like, it hit his muscle. He's okay. It seems like Owen Miller will be back in the lineup today. But it, we're in a spot where we can't really afford to lose anybody else. The Brewers have just been built on, you know, sort of glass, it feels like. And it feels like every every guy seemingly has an injury at some point. And you do worry, can this team stay fully healthy for the entire year? This was an issue for the Bucks, right? Where it seemed like every time the Bucks would get healthy, somebody else would get hurt. And you just hate that that's a part of a theme of this team so far. Because you're going to hear a lot, and Brian Anderson has, has said it a couple times, you know, on Sunday. It's like, just if this team gets healthy and they hang on, they're going to be set up for success. Well, it, getting this team healthy, what does that exactly look like? Like, Brandon Woodruff is now going to be down till late July. That was another thing that came out this week, that he had a setback. It's looking more like late July, not necessarily late June. So, okay, so you don't get Woodruff back till late July. It's going to take him some time to ramp up. Who knows what can happen in those two months? There's a long way to go there. And on top of that, you're you have, you know, got everybody else staying healthy, you know, making sure Christian Elch doesn't have a back or a knee thing, making sure that one of the young guys doesn't go down, uh, making sure, you know, Luis Urias comes back healthy. I mean, there's so many, so many different things that have to happen. For you to stay healthy, and it, it's it's nice to think about. Oh, if this team stays healthy, but it, it, w- what's been proven is they can't stay healthy. They've had injury upon injury, so we'll, we'll just sort of have to see. Other news and notes. Uh, despite his his homer he gave up late in the game, it's nice to see Colin Wright put together like basically one one and three fourths of a good start. Like I mean, Colin Ray is not a good. I don't think really a good pitcher per se. But he's, he's holding it all together. And now the question becomes, can he do it for a third straight game? I'll actually see him when I'm in Cincinnati on Saturday. I miss Corbin Burns. That's a bummer. Um, with a weird 410 start, by the way. I think it's like Apple TV is trying to do like a double header. But Colin Ray has been good in those last two starts. The nice thing about this game against the Giants is... When you look at sort of what happened after that San Diego start uh, for Ray back in April, the next start, he was not good. Uh, he gives up four runs. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the Colin Ray that, you know, was expected. Then gives up another four runs against Detroit in the start after that. And so it's like, okay, maybe Colin Ray, not a guy. But now you're seeing it. And he also, this is the second time he's faced the Giants. And he had the... The numbers look bad because he gave up four runs and a second home run. But if he, you take away that last home run, he he would be only he only give up one run allowed, five hits, and six strikeouts. So that's that's a pretty pretty good outing. So we'll have to see if this is sustainable for him. But again, the Brewers right now, as we just talked about with injuries, they need guys to keep the lights on, and Colin Ray for sure is helping out in terms of keeping the lights on with this baseball team. The Brewers offense had a really tough night um, and it was highlighted this weekend. Uh, You had three games where the Brewers had three runs. Uh, It was pretty pathetic. 
I I know what happened Friday. I realized they were not in that headspace, but that doesn't excuse what happened Thursday. Doesn't really excuse what happened on Friday on Saturday. They played pretty lifeless baseball in both of those games. I was there on Thursday. They just had nothing going for them offensively. I don't know if it was the fact they couldn't get started, that the bullpen game kind of screwed them up. And then Logan Webb, you know, they got a couple runners on here and there, but they couldn't get that clutch hit against a really good pitcher in Webb. And it's pretty clear that the Brewers' big problem this season is if they don't get started early, they just don't at all. They just sort of shut down. They are 6-20 and 20 now. I think they're, yeah, when they do not score first. When they do not score first, they're 6-20. and 20. And they have to figure that out. And I talked about this with the Bucs. I've talked about this with the Packers in the past where I think you, with every team you cheer for, you find that one thing that they don't do well. And, and it, it sort of becomes the theme of the season. And so looking at this, it's, you know, this to me is that theme. The theme is, you know, they really can't get started. If they don't get started quick, they don't get started at all. And they got to figure that out. They have to figure out how to not press, how to just keep playing baseball and that trust their offense and that the runs will come. And maybe it's the lineup construction. Maybe it's something else. But the Brewers need to sort of readjust and try to sort of cure themselves of that in the next couple of months. Because if you don't cure it, you know, by middle of July, it's that then that's that's who you are as a baseball team. I can ignore the first two months if you know a team sort of is like, all right, here's how we sort of come back in baseball games. Here's how we figure it out. They have to learn how to come back though. They're a young team. They haven't necessarily learned that skill yet. And if they can, that, that makes them a much better baseball team. But you do worry that that is sort of a theme of it. Now, I, I do think the other reasons for the offense struggling, I think the young guys are getting figured out, right? I think there's a book now on how to pitch Terang, how to pitch Weimer. Um, and they, they're working through it. And I, I do still believe that they can they can sort of adjust that. I think Jesse Winker being awful is another big part of the Brewers' offense struggling. I think they expected to get a lift from Winker. Now, Colton Long has been equally terrible for Seattle, so this isn't like a trade that was bad for bad or bad for one side and great for the other. It's been bad for both, and you do wonder, you know, is it worth eating Winker's contract and DFAing him? Because could there be another you know guy for that roster spot? I mean, Castigura is the one that comes to mind, right? Could you get the production out of Keston Hira that you're getting from Jesse Winker? And we've known that how Keston Hira excels is by playing every day. And DFAing Jesse Winker would basically mean that Keston Hira would get every day at bats. But is it worth eating that contract? Is it worth eating that money? Uh, it's, I mean, it's getting to that point. I don't think we're there just yet. I think we're a, a month away from, from it. I mean, we've seen... Guys start slow and catch fire. Aramis Ramirez is the best example of this, where Aramis Ramirez would be terrible for the first two months of the year. And June 1st is known as Aramis Ramirez Day because after it tur- the calendar turned to June, Aramis Ramirez would be awesome for like two months, three months. So that's the same. I, and Jesse Wigger has shown nothing that makes you think, oh, this guy's going to just be awesome like, all of a sudden. 
But you just never know. You got you gotta at least give him a little more of a chance. So even though he's been terrible, even though I, I have not really liked the Jesse Winker experience, I'm at least gonna hold out hope for at least uh, another year. Or not another year, another month for Jesse Winker. Uh, July 1st, if he's still shit, yeah, get rid of his ass. Bad month for Adi Telez, uh, not really, he had a really awesome sort of two or three week stretch and since then it really hasn't been much. Uh, so what what is Rowdy Telez this year? Like he started slow, then got hot, then now is back to kind of, you know, just being, you know, a fly ball strikeout artist. So where, you know, where does Rowdy sort of fit in? I think it's another big question for this Brewers team. And then lastly, Luke Voigt got DFA'd. And, you know, offensively, and or this is more on the it's more news and notes as we wrap up here. Luke Voigt DFA'd, uh, not surprising. I think we all were sort of expecting it. He just did not provide the offense that everybody hoped and provided that sort of power from the right side against left-handers. Darren Ruff has not really proven himself in that category either. Uh, there have been no Darren Ruff moments. Maybe tonight against uh, Yaz Kikuchi. Maybe that is uh, the Darren Ruff moment. Maybe it's the Darren Ruff game. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, uh, Luke Voigt, out of here. Julio Tehran, not bad for his first start. Uh, he looked all right. I was there. Uh, he pitched. He had five different pitches going. Uh, he pitched all right. Uh, it was definitely an encouraging first start. I mean, Tehran used to be awesome. It's been a while since we've seen it. He's 32 years old. It's not to say he can't, you know, turn back the clock and be that awesome all-star level pitcher that he was for Atlanta. Um, but I'm not gonna not gonna count my chickens just yet. I mean, the Giant, yes, shutting down that Giants offense, pretty damn good considering what the Giants hit, were the rest of that series. And really, you could look at Tehran and point to Tehran as being the only one that, and Burns, I guess, that shut down that that offense. Burns for sure. I shouldn't say Burns, I guess. Burns for sure. You know, it was Burns and Tehran really were the only ones that were able to hold down that giant that Giants offense. And we'll see if he's able to do it again against Toronto. Like, I mean, Toronto is not easy, right? We did, uh, you know, with, with Colin Ray, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's He's Colin Ray. That second start. And we'll see if Toronto, you know, has that, that similar sort of issue. Uh, and speaking of Toronto, tough series. You know, Toronto has about, has the same record as the Brewers, and they're in last place in the NL, or AL East, while the Brewers are in first place in the NL Central. It speaks to the larger point of the National League uh, at the moment. And I, I have a larger National League take that I'll save for another show. But you have the Blue Jays at 28 and 26, the Brewers 28 and 25. So actually not the same record. Uh, they are a pretty solid home team, uh, 13 and nine. Uh, they're three and seven in their last 10. Uh, if you think run differential matters, the Blue Jays have a plus 20, but they've also given up 237 runs against, which is more than the Milwaukee Brewers by two. So it could, there could be a chance that this is high scoring. Uh, the pitching matchups are, I think, more in Toronto's favor than they are in Milwaukee's favor. Uh, you start tonight with Adrian Hauser. We'll see if he can kind of keep his hot streak rolling, facing off against uh, Yaz Kikuchi. Uh, Kikuchi, a lefty, uh, has not been good of late, but it's the Brewers against left-handers, and we all know how that usually goes. <laughs> then you have Tehran against Alex Manoa. Uh, Manoa has been awful this year. Uh, will that continue against the Brewers team? I am not entirely sure. 
Uh, and then on Thursday afternoon, you have Freddie Peralta against Kevin Gosman. Gosman's been pretty solid this season. Uh, he had his issues at home last year, uh, but it hasn't really seemed to be the case this season. So we'll see if the Brewers can get it done uh, on the road. They're 12 of 13 ever since that West Coast trip. They haven't been exactly great away from American Family Field, but it would be awesome to, you know, this would be a great series for the Brewers to sort of get rolling and push the ball in the right direction. Uh, they, you know, had a, it seemed like they were kind of doing that, uh, winning three out of four uh, with beating Houston twice and then having that last win against the Rays. And they go on and lose three straight. And this is kind of the, it's kind of what we saw in 2022, where it would be like they couldn't sustain success. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe maybe this is the start of it. Um, and Cincinnati over the weekend, we'll talk more probably as we get closer, but not an easy not an easy weekend. I mean, the Reds come in hot to their series against Boston. They swept the Chicago Cubs. They're you know kind of developing as a young team, and you sort of see the pieces, the table stakes of this young roster coming together and sort of the future of Reds baseball. And a lot of talk about potentially Ellie De La Cruz getting called up. I would it would be awesome if De La Cruz got call, called up before the weekend. And that would be that'd be something else. Um, and be I'd be very thankful that I uh, got my tickets because I think that'll make that make the game a lot more crowded on on Saturday. All right, let's uh, wrap up very quickly with some a weird Packer Bears thing. That's developing over the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the Green Bay Packers offense, a little bit of defense. Jonathan Owens was there with Simone Biles. Um, they all went up to Door County. Uh, they all were hanging out, partying, enjoying, you know, a Wisconsin summer weekend in Door County. Jordan Love was there. Uh, you had A.J. Dillon. You had Christian Watson. You had Owens, as mentioned. I'm sure, uh, Josiah Deguerra, I think, was also there. And there was a picture that Dillon's wife posted on Instagram stories of uh, Jordan Love partying, you know, had a red solo cup, you know, drinking on a boat, obviously, you know, having having a good time doing what we all do on Memorial Day weekend. And frankly, I was jealous as someone who was putting in a ton of yard work, cleaning his house for a party. I had a lot of FOMO over this weekend. I had a buddy in Ireland, I had a buddy in Vegas. I was like, I, what am I doing with my life? And then you look at like Jordan Love, same thing. They were Everyone was see, everyone seemed to be partying besides me, uh, which which was you know I still had my fun. I still still had a good weekend. I can't complain. But and I'm gonna be out next week, so I'll, I'll get to enjoy sort of that relaxation sooner rather than later. Let's just say. But Bears fans took it as oh, our quarterbacks all jacked and working out, and you know Jordan loves partying. Why is Jordan love celebrating? What does he have to celebrate? And all this shit. And there was this still frame of love, you know, with the Red Solo Cup and Justin Fields looking absolutely jacked. And, and, and the, the caption was 15 weeks till week one. I will tell you right now, Bears fans, if you're a Bears fan listening to this, you motherfuckers better hope that you win game one. You better hope that you fucking win that game. Because I will tell you what, we are going to, and we as Packer fans, are going to rain down on your asses if you don't. Because you're talking a lot of shit for a team that has done absolutely fucking nothing. You had the first overall goddamn pick in the NFL draft last season. 
Get out of my goddamn face. I apologize for all the swearing if you have the kids. Yeah, I should have probably prefaced. So usually I, I, I'll have a few here and there. But it, it just pisses me off. It just pisses me off at the how big it britches these Bears fans have got just because they think they have this next generational talent at quarterback. And there's no idea if Justin Fields is that. It's very possible that Justin Fields is just a fantasy quarterback. He's just a quarterback built for your fantasy football team. And that's it. And that he is not a winning player. We have no idea if Justin Fields can be that guy. Did he leave a good drive against the Commanders? I think they, did the Bears win that game? Or did they lose that game? I think they lost that game. Fields got him down to the goal line. I think they couldn't finish. I have to remember. I tried to kind of blur that one out of my head because that was such a brutal fucking game to watch. But it, it, how do we know if Justin Fields is a guy right now? You can talk all your shit that you're like, okay, get ready for week one. But these guys don't party. You're telling me Justin Fields doesn't go out to a club in Atlanta or a club in Chicago. You're telling me that Justin Fields might not be at Lollapalooza in April. Now, granted, that's during training camp, so maybe not a bad example. But what if Justin Fields shows up at Bonnaroo, uh, which is closer, close to Chicago? What if Justin Fields is at Bonnaroo checking somebody out? Are, are we going to jump down Justin Fields' throat? Justin Fields can't party? Justin Fields can't celebrate? Justin Fields has nothing to celebrate for. He was trash. You know, in, in certain spots, he was sacked. He was one of the most sacked quarterbacks in NFL history last year. Just, Justin Fields didn't win many football games. So I, this whole concept that there's something wrong with Jordan Love partying is fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. I love the fact that the Green Bay Packers are all together in Door County that they are bonding right now. As one of my friends said, championships are built around the keg. I don't know if how true that is, but I, I do agree with you know being together. We have not seen our quarterback with his teammates like this in that capacity in a very long time. Probably since pre-COVID, Aaron Rodgers hanging out with like Jordy Nelson at his farm and Randall Cobb being there. I think Adams was there too. Like that's probably the best example that we have of this. And that was ions ago. If Aaron Rodgers is still our quarterback, he's probably in New York at the Taylor Swift concert with his buddy Miles Teller and his Hollywood friends and not his teammates. And, and, and let's be clear, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? At different strokes for different folks. But it's refreshing, if anything, to see all these guys together. And that builds camaraderie. That builds trust. That builds a bond. Those things matter. I'll be honest. I'd rather have my quarterback doing that shit than lifting weights and being by himself on a weekend that's that's a celebratory weekend. That the, the kickoff the summer. I realize why we have that weekend is because of those that were lost at war. And I, I remember that acknowledge. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but trying to point out what everybody else does. Field, if Fields is working out at the gym on Saturday night on a long weekend, holiday weekend, he's the fucking weirdo. I judge those people. I would judge Justin Fields for that. So these Bears fans being all hyped up that their guy is this massive Adonis of a human that doesn't win fucking football games. 
You can look like a GQ model and be a 13 and 3 and 14 team. So just miss me with all of that bullshit. And I apologize for just being fired up, but I just, that was the one thing from this weekend that I absolutely hated. And if anybody, I, I swear to you, if there is any local radio station that crucifies love for this, I am going to do the exact same fucking thing as I did on this podcast today. Because it is a good thing to be out with your teammates. And these guys do not need to be football, football, football 24-7. That is, to me, how you just... You, you don't necessarily build those bonds. You build those bonds off the field. And that's what the Green Bay Packers were doing. And I, I've said it... I think I said it with Mitch last week, but... Man, week one is going to matter so much for the Packers and Bears. It is going to be such a big game in week one because there are so many larger, bigger picture storylines. At the end of the day, week one usually doesn't matter in the NFL. There are weird, wonky week one results that have absolutely no meaning on the rest of the NFL season. That's happened time and again. But... For this one particularly, all the Bears fans were like, oh, Aaron Rodgers out of our life. Oh, we, you know, it's a new era. We're the new era of the NFC North. And if Jordan Love comes in there and drops his dick and it's a 34 to 17 Packer victory, it, nothing has changed, right? But if Justin Fields is awesome, tears up the Green Bay Packers, it's going to be like the prince that was promised. And all these Bears fans are going to go nuts. They're going to share these pictures from Memorial Day. They're going to be like, we are sort of the kings of the NFC North after one game. The Bears will celebrate this like it's a Super Bowl. It would not surprise me if there was a parade in the goddamn streets for this. This game is so meaningful in terms of the bigger picture stuff, at least to start the season. Now we could shrug it off and say it's week one. Like I just pointed out, week one's a wonky week, but it will still carry a lot of meaning for a few weeks. But we'll, you know, if, you know, it could be a situation where Packers lose that first week, Bears fans go nuts, but then Green Bay is four and one while Chicago is one and four. Then does it really matter? And that's kind of exactly the point. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Back tomorrow, either myself or with Mitch. Uh, we are not. If Mitch isn't with me, there'll be no having the keg this week. Uh, just scheduling stuff. Uh, and have a show then for you on Thursday. And then we'll also try to have a show for you on Friday. So we'll we'll just miss one day this week. Um, like I said, the Friday one's going to be tough. Because I am not at my desk. I'm not at my computer. But I know with the listens and the support being so great on the weekends, I will try to fit something in for the people on Friday. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great, great Tuesday. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you, bye.